God, we love you, and we thank you for waking us all up this morning. I see a lot of sleepy faces in the audience, but God, help us to, to put our ears on and, and have ears to hear the things that you're going to say through Jonathan, uh, your servant. We love you and thank you for Jesus, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From the upcoming film, True Crimes, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. One more time, here are the nominees for Best Motion Picture Comedy. The Big Short. Okay, so I think he's actually making a really profound point here. How many of y'all know what this is? That's right. Taking its place in the long line of wonderful human innovations like indoor plumbing and penicillin. There's the selfie stick, right? I think a thousand years from now when archaeologists dig up the rubble that is the 21st century and they find one of these, they're going to say, that's where it went off the rails right there. That's where things went off the rails. This is a selfie stick, and you are more like, this is not my iPhone or my selfie stick, so just, guys, move sideways with it, okay? So did you know that you are more likely to die taking a selfie than by being eaten by a shark or struck by lightning? This is a real thing. There, there's a real condition, a medical condition, and it sounds made up, but it's not, called selfieitis where we have this compulsion to take selfies. There was an article in the New York Times a few years ago that was talking about how this compulsion is driven by the idea that if, we don't, if we're not seen by others, we don't exist. And if, it's not just if we're not seen by others. If we're not seen by others the way we want to be seen, we don't exist. So the reason people die taking selfies is because we'll get up on that cliff on the very edge and in order to get the shot that'll make the most likes, follows, and mentions, we'll do the most dangerous things. Like one guy stuck his head in a tiger cage for a great selfie. 
I'm sure he got the selfie. I'm not sure he liked the outcome. So why do we do this? Why do we risk so much? Because we want to be you know, liked, friended, followed, and mentioned. Why would we risk so much for so little? Okay, so maybe that's not it for you. Maybe social media doesn't have its claws in you just yet. Maybe for you it's that you want to have the nicest lawn in your area. So you'll spend all your weekends working on it, or uh, maybe that you're the best dressed, or maybe that you can not name drop so well, which reminds me what my friend Lecrae says. Jonathan, stop calling me your friend. We've only met that one time. <laughs> He's so witty. So maybe, maybe for you it's that you can wear that dress or that you earned a degree from that place that others couldn't get into. Some of us, we live, some of us here, we live in a house we can't afford. We drive a car we can't afford. We wear clothes we can't afford on cards that we can't pay the debt back. And we do that. Why? Because it matters to us so much what other people think of us. Um, some people have an exaggerated resume. Some of us have hair of people half our age, have the hair color of people half our age. Some of us, you're students and you're good at the wise nod, pretending like you know what the heck your, parent, your professors are talking about. Or, or for, you know, sometimes I've seen professors give everything just to get the right, you know, rating on ratemyprofessors.com. Um, or what, what's that called, actually? Rate, okay. Uh, it's, not, it's, like, it's like hot tom, uh, tomatoes for professors, right? Okay. Um, what's it called? Rate, rate my professors. Okay, yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, th- this is another way it plays out. I'm about to fly out. You can be the person on the airport who's on their phone talking all the time about, well, if he's not going to do it, then fire him, Jim, and making sure everybody in the terminal hears that you have some modicum level of importance and that they all see you as such. Or you can have a large following on Twitter or Snap or whatever, and it can be you know, when you're in, in high school trying to get street cred by not wearing clothes from Goodwill but wearing polo, or when you're in college wearing polos from Goodwill and not polo. Whatever it is, we try to prevent the best, present the best version of ourselves, no matter what it costs, and it does cost us. There's a little Lady Gaga in all of us, right? We want people to see certain sides of us. Now, here's where Christianity is really helpful, especially for this. I, I was just telling Carrie, I'm really, I, re, I care a lot about what we're talking about today because if there is one thing that I think the generation that I grew up in and the generations after me is caught in bondage by, it's this. And it's not the drugs or the alcohol or the sexual immorality. This is deeper. And I'm, almost nobody ever talks about it. It's called vainglory. And Christianity has called it for a long time a vice or a bondage. But today it's known as a virtue. So we talk about building a platform or wanting to stand out or, or being extraordinary with our lives. It used to be people were famous for doing great things filled with virtue and courage. Now people are famous just for being famous. Like we want really badly to be famous. And, and by the way, if, one of the ways Christian, Christians have talked about life for a long time is the telos of your life, like think telos, telescope, like the direction that your decisions are leading you on. There are people radioing back who have all those things that we think we want, that we're sacrificing family, faith, friendships for. People like Jim Carrey, 
And he's radioing back. He honestly said this. He's radioing back from that dream life. He said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous in the world so that they could see it as the answer to absolutely nothing they really truly want. They're telling us that all this stuff that we're sacrificing, the thing that we're sacrificing it for isn't worth it. So vainglory is the excessive desire to be recognized and have the approval of others. And today it has a lot of different names, right? Like people-pleasing, workaholism, anxiety, shame. It's often what's behind our ability to not say no and then to resent the person who asked us. It's behind, um, see if this doesn't ring true. You ever tell a story? And it's a good story, but it's not a great story. And so you just tweak a little bit of it. Just so people think a little bit better of you than they ought. And in the moment, it works, right? Denzel Washington came in. But they never know you. They don't know the real you. And they don't know and love the real you. Because you're not letting them. Um, vainglory is an appetite every one of us has to be known. And the reason... Um, it takes so many different forms today is because vainglory doesn't necessarily mean you're trying to be a celebrity. It's an appetite to be known, and any appetite, like any appetite, the more you feed it, the more it grows. Look at the way uh, I heard a preacher say it this way. I think it is so accurate. Look at what he said. There is no amount of known, if you could put that up, there's no amount of known that will satisfy your appetite to be known for the thing you have determined you want to be known for. There's not enough. You want to be known as a good student? There's not enough people that can know you that way. If you want to be known as a a godly person, there's not enough. If that's what you want more than to be a godly person, there's not enough people. It's a vice. And like any vice, if if you've ever built anything, you know that a vice is something that you can fit in very easily, but when the screws are turned, you can't get out of it. That's what it is. The more the screws tighten, you become trapped. I think this vice is, is a vice that is especially tempting for those of us who feel like we're never gonna be good enough without a little extra polish and some artificial lighting, which I think is probably on some level about some things, all of us. Vainglory, that word, it, um, it comes from the Latin and it means empty glory. It means a glory that's really, it, it feels like it's something, but when you look closely, it's empty. You begin to feel hollow on the inside. And as you begin to realize that, you need more and more people to tell you, hey, that's not true. You're awesome. You met Denzel Washington that one time, remember? So we say picks or it didn't happen, but doesn't that carry with it the idea that if you don't, you don't exist? You'll know this vice has you in its grips when you can't handle criticism. When the slightest criticism devastates you. This, by the way, is why we're talking so much about shame right now. Why cancel culture bothers people so much. Because the slightest criticism, not to mention a lot of criticism, will undo you. Because the very thing that you're needing, that your soul has become addicted to, is being taken away. Shame, by the way, shame is normal. It's just the, it's, it's the, it's human limitations, you're going to feel shame on stuff. You can't be everything to everybody. You're, you're a broken, fallen person, and you can't do everything. 
Shame is the experience of when that gets exposed. And the reason we're so terrified of shame, of letting people see our human limitations, the places we're not talented or the emotional problems we struggle with, is because everybody's pretending they don't have those limitations as well. This is one of the reasons I love this gathering. I have never told a group of people I had diarrhea before. But this feels like a safe room to do it because I'm pretty sure y'all have all had that before too. Uh, yeah. Somebody say y'all didn't have it before. <laughs> Liars. Okay. So the really sad thing about vainglory is that you win applause. It works. You get applause and approval at the price of distancing yourself from others. So you can't, you can't have true relationships when you're using other people to use, build your self-esteem project, right? You can't have real relationships when you're trying to get other people to like um, be a part of, of you know, the little publicity tour you're putting for, together for yourself. And if you try to use people as the dull background in which you can shine, real community is, is Vainglory's greatest casualties. So here's where it starts, starts to be like um, just straight up, you know, psychology advice and more Christian one, Christianity 101. How many of you want to be good Christian Jesus people? Show of hands. Okay. One of the things that happens if you take that seriously is you begin to be seen as a good Christian Jesus person. And then the subtle temptation over time, and we're going to get to Revelation, the subtle temptation over time is that you will begin to care more about being seen as a good Jesus person than being a good Jesus person. How many of y'all have been a part of churches where everybody who comes there is fine? Right? Even though statistically speaking, American Christianity, we tend to be as racist as other people. We, we divorce at the same rate. We struggle with pornography at the same rate. I, but I don't know any of those people. People I go to church with are fine. And, and you don't have to live that way. We don't have to statistically be like the rest of America. In fact, I've seen the Holy Spirit transform people's life. But over time, what happens is we slowly drift away from wanting to be a good follower of Jesus to look like a good follower of Jesus. This is the temptation that every person that follows Jesus is going to have to deal with. It's ironic that this is a temptation that starts off because we've done something that was worthy of applause. And then we become addicted to applause. And applause, when you become addicted to applause, it involves hiding yourself as much as it does showing yourself off. Let me give you an example. When I was 17 years old, I grew up homeschooled, super sheltered. I was the kid that when I first went to college, you could just walk up to me and be like, sex. And I'd be like, shut up, don't say that. Well, <clears throat> I was homeschooled, and all my other friends had kissed a woman at this point in their life. I had never kissed a girl. Apparently, I was with all the homeschool Casanovas, and I just wasn't. So, um, <laughs> <clears throat> so at one point, that became a subject of conversation. Hey, Jonathan's never kissed anybody, and poor Jonathan, all that stuff. Well, I go off to Florida with some of my family, and I'm there for two weeks. And it dawns on me while I'm there for those two weeks that my friends back in Arkansas don't know 
what did or did not happen. So when I come back, I create this elaborate ruse of this woman that I met in Florida. And she was wonderful, and we really hit it off, and she dabbles in modeling. You don't know her, but yeah, we... <clears throat> and one thing led to another, and then we kissed. So get off my back, everybody. <clears throat> and for like six months, I kept it up. And the story got bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know, like... I'm saving up for a ring. Help me, Jesus, get out of this, you know. And at one point, my, um, my friend Bub is staying the night at my house, and he brings this up in passing. And I knew in that moment, like I could either have a, I could either have a reputation as a Romeo or I could have a true friend. And so I mustered up what little courage I had. And I said, hey, Bub, Remember that story? That didn't really happen. And if you think it's embarrassing to be embarrassed about not kissing girls so much that you invented one, it's way more embarrassing to say, I was so embarrassed about that, that I made up a girl that I fake pretend kissed that doesn't really exist. But that was the night that Bub went from being my friend to my best friend. And he still is. Because what you really want is to be known. Fame or a great reputation, it just offers the illusion. It's cotton candy. It offers the illusion of being loved. Now, when the Bible talks about fame, it actually uses the word glory. And almost every time it uses the word glory, it's talking about God's glory. And almost every time it's not talking about God's glory, it's negative. When human beings try to reach for glory that's not given to them by God, honor that's not given to them by God, they do so many things. So the Sermon on the Mount, we're in Revelation, I know, we're gonna get there, but I want you to see Jesus, what he says to religious people about this, because this is really, really big. It's the same Jesus in Revelation that's saying this. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter six. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be, read that with me, seen by them. Let's read it all together. To be seen by them. That's why they do it. That's the problem. Not acts of righteousness, but to be seen by them. Because if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Again, the problem is the why they're doing it. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. When you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Everything they do is done for people to see. Now, the relationship Jesus makes between the hypocrites and why they're doing what they're doing is important because the acts of righteousness, this is really a temptation only for good people. It's a temptation that over time, if you take following Jesus seriously, you will experience. And everything hinges on how you or your church responds to it. Because look what happens if, if you respond to it the wrong way. Jesus, who... Everybody, no one, was a, no one was put off by Jesus. People who weren't like Jesus, like Jesus. He was this gracious guy, full of grace and truth. But the one thing he could not stand were religious people 
who because they were captivated in this vice, made other people feel like they were far from God when the religious people themselves just might be farther. Look at what he says. He lights into them in Matthew 23. You read this and you think, Jesus, you're gonna get killed. Woe to you, shame on you is a better translation. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're like dead people, but you look on the outside whitewashed. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You read this and you're thinking, Jesus, you're gonna get killed. Jesus is actually saying this to the good religious people. And these are, these are the best religious people of his day. We would make these guys elders. And I'm not saying anything bad about elders. I'm saying something good about them. But Jesus sees what they're doing and why they're doing it for. Because this is actually something we religious people struggle with more than others. Because if you do good things, you will get attention for it. And the problem is, eventually, you become to appreciate the attention more than the good. And what happens over time is you exchange the good for the attention. So imagine you had my job, just for a second. You get paid because you tell the truth. You tell the truth even if it's hard. And over time, people come up to you afterwards, and they're like, oh, that was so good. Thanks for telling us what we needed to hear. And over time care more about that than telling the truth. And so just a little bit at a time, you slowly start to tell people less the truth and more what they want to hear. You start feeling more and more pressure and keep up with your reputation, even if it means you start to cut corners with your integrity here and there. Now, what's that look like for your job or for the career you're training for? Because truthfulness is not just the words you say, it's how you present yourself. For example, um, when, I was, when I was 15 years old, the thing I wanted more than anything else was a mustache, because we all know how cool teenagers with mustaches are. My problem wasn't that I couldn't have a mustache. I had like 30 quality lip hairs. My problem was that you couldn't see those lip hairs. So they were like, you know, light brown. So I decided late one night, I go to Walmart, get some mascara, don't jump ahead of the story, and I put mascara on my 30 quality lip hairs, and I got to tell you, it worked like a charm. Like overnight, I go from this, you know, very smooth-skinned person to looking like Geraldo or something like some very, you know, a, a Burt Reynolds. I don't know. Who's got a mustache? Tom Selleck. Y'all know Tom Selleck, but not Geraldo? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I, I have a mustache, and I am rocking it for several days, just like, that's right, look who puberty came for, guys. <clears throat> and then I uh, go to Wendy's with my buddies, and if you're ever going to do this, don't drink anything without the aid of a straw, because I'm eating with my friends, and all of a sudden they're like, is your mustache running? I have friends to this day when I see back home, they'll be like, hey, look, maybe it's Jonathan. Maybe it's Maybelline, you know. <laughs> Here's another one. When I was, when I was a, a teenager, I got my driver's license, and they asked me how tall I was. 
And I was like, um, 5'8"? Because I was like, surely a growth spurt is going to come. And a growth spurt never came. I don't know if you can tell from up from down there, but a growth spurt never came. But every seven years when I have to go reapply to get my driver's license, they ask me, are you 5'8"? And I have never once corrected them. <laughs> One day I'm going to get pulled over and the police officers are going to arrest me because this is not who is on that driver's license. So it's not just about what you say, it's about how you present yourself. And the reason this is so important is because applause is captivating, meaning it can take you captive. I'm, 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 trying, I'm not trying to tell you don't have a reputation here, but there is a way to handle it that serves us well and doesn't take over our lives. And we better learn it, not just individually, but as a church. Just look at what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is the same risen Jesus who addressed the Sermon on the Mount and the Pharisees and warned us about this. And so it's no surprise that when he talks to the church in Sardis, he still is the same character. Here's what he says. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive. Now let's read those four words together. But you are, that's right. You have a reputation for being alive and you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. I found your deeds. Everybody else thinks you're one way, but in the sight of God, you're not. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I have come to you. I know your deeds. God is watching. That's the message, and it's a message of hope, just as much as it is a message of warning. God is seeing what we do and what we don't do and why we do it. You have a reputation for being alive, Jesus says, but you're dead. And one of the most convicting verses in the New Testament, Jesus addresses something that every church will eventually have to deal with. I don't care who you are, but in my experience, every church eventually has to deal with something like this. Because let's say you get good at something. People are gonna hear and then they're going to look, and then they're going to ask, what, what do you do? How do you do that? There will become a season in every church, I think, where your reputation outpaces your reality. And this will be what you do with it is a defining moment for your, your church and your church's soul. What will you do with it? Because I've been with these people. I've been with these church leaders. Heck, I've been these church leaders where you're known for one thing and in Maybe you're known a little bit better for it than you actually are. And people start asking. And the temptation is to be like, well, you know, and you start, and you start getting invited to conferences and people may ask you what your secret is, but Jesus sees and he's not fooled. He knows the reality. I can't tell you how many times I've seen churches handle this poorly. And you know what happens? They become zombie institutions. Here's what I mean by that. They suck up all the money and the volunteer hours, but they're not alive. They may be busy, but they're busy dying. And the life of the resurrected Lord is not in them. 
In a couple of sessions, we're going to talk about the church of Laodicea, and I'm not going to get into that too much, but do you remember that Jesus says to a church, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's not to individuals. He's talking to a church. And think about it. This church is probably thinking Jesus is there. They, they, they probably gather together every, every Sunday. They're gathering together. They're singing the songs. They're doing the stuff. They think they've got everything together, but they don't know Jesus isn't with them. And I wonder, would they really even care if they found out? The great tragedy of the Bible Belt is that there's so many zombie institutions, or say it another way, Christless churches, and they might think they're doing quite well, but they have no idea how Jesus sees them. And frankly, they might not be that interested in his opinion. I mean, if, if things are going well, if their butt's in the seat and money's being given, they might not care how Jesus' opinion of them is. So is the name of Jesus mentioned in every group you're in, in all your meetings, in all, the, in all your life groups, in all your homes, and marriages, and classes? Does Jesus ever call you to do stuff that's uncomfortable? Stuff that you wouldn't do if it wasn't for him? Stuff that risks not just you, but, but your relationships? Does Jesus often call you to sacrifice money and time and resources? Does Jesus get more mentioned than your traditions and your rituals? Does every tradition and ritual point back to him? Because you can't be a church of Christ and be a Christless church. And I don't mean that as the denomination church of Christ. I mean like the global capital C church. The one that Jesus holds in his hand is the bride of Christ, is the body of Christ, but Jesus also stands against. When we miss this, when we miss the life of Jesus because we want to be known for have, having had the life of Jesus. But the good news is there. He stands at the door and knocks. And look at what it says in the very next verses. Yet there are a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white. They are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's still life there. There are people who aren't interested in what the word on the street about them is. They are only interested in what Jesus' opinion of them is. They're only wanting the applause of heaven. And know what that gospel word is? Wake up. So do we have a video next? My um, son, let me set this up before you, is it there? Uh, okay, so one's a video. So my son, uh, he did this gymnastic camp a couple of years ago and it was all week long. Um, that he would just from eight to five did gymnastics. And at the very end of it, there was like this show for all the parents to come and see everything that they did. And I took a video of it. I didn't know the video was gonna be this funny. Um, it's become famous, a legend in our family called everybody, not everybody was kung fu fighting, okay? So here it is. This is my son right here. This is the show that they're putting together. Go to the next one. I think that one might be the video. There's no video? Okay, all right. It's pretty epic, just trust me. It, um, 
So I'll tell another story. How about this? Uh, when I was in Abilene, there was this guy named Hussein who was a, uh, he grew up in Iran. He was a Muslim and he had come to Christianity a couple of decades earlier. And I was doing a series about death and about how Christians should die better than anybody. And he comes up to me afterwards and he says, hey, there's this tradition that we had in Iran and I was wondering, Iran, and I was wondering if you'd like to do it. Um, it's like where we, every year, we would go and we would get in an open grave and we would contemplate our death. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'll do that. And so he, me and like a couple of other guys, my intern, we all go over there and we get, and there's this cemetery and we have permission. So it's not like that, it's creepy, but it's not extra creepy because we have permission. So we climb in on these pallets into these open graves you know, one at a time, different graves, and you just lay there for like 15 minutes and you just think about, this is ultimately where I'm gonna be. I'm gonna die. And it's very sobering. It is very, very sobering. And then after 15 minutes, we climbed out of those graves. Problem was that there were people, there weren't people when we climbed into the graves. Right. <laughs> but there was apparently some like people that were coming to, to say goodbye to their family. And, they, and then all of a sudden, 15 minutes later, all of us start climbing out. <laughs> you know, the number one metaphor for the way the New Testament talks about death, it's sleep. And the reason I love that metaphor is because what happens after you sleep? Come on. You wake up. Resurrection is always possible. You don't have to stay dead. Our churches don't have to stay dead, but they can't stay comfortable. Churches, do you know what you really want? You know what everyone really wants? It's not likes and favorites and retweets and jealous stares when you walk into the room. What you really want is to make God smile. That's why Jesus is so hard on this. You have no reward from your Father which is in heaven. What are you doing? Don't you know what your heart is really hungry for? You can live a life that gives God joy. That, that is a, an ingredient in the divine happiness. If, this is a Jesus, if you're a Jesus person, this is what you believe. All the things that you have that make you known are given to you by God. You know who it's from and what it's for. What do you have that you have not received? Like some of you are very attractive. Some of you are very talented. Some of you are very, you, you, you are incredibly good with people. You, you have gifts and talents that are um, incommensurate with what you should have. What do you have that you have not received? Did you get to pick where you were born or what family you'd be born into or, or what your opportunities would be? Did you get to pick what your body would look like? Everything is a gift from God and what you do with it is a gift back to him. All your knownness is so you can remember who it's from and who it's for. And practically, here's what this means. You get up every day and you do your best. You take a deep breath at the end of the day and you listen for the applause from heaven. Practically, as churches, this is what this means. We never let our reputation outpace our reality. So we say, yes, praise God for this, praise God for this. Actually, we're really struggling with that. 
Actually, please pray for us with that. We need the Holy Spirit to help us with that. Because this is a vice, and you are growing up in a world that says it's a virtue. So vainglory, which by the way, vainglory, this is something I have walked through, just personal testimony. 10 years ago, I was crushing it with this, like books and all that kind of stuff, but I realized I had wandered far from the gospel. What I meant by that is every time I had to lower the bar when it comes to what was popular and what Jesus was calling me to, I chose what was popular. And I was getting a lot of, a lot of social media attention. I was getting all the things that I thought I wanted, and I was empty and lonely. I don't want that for you. Because what you really want is more than just fame. What you really want is the applause of God. Vainglory's antidotes are humility, truthfulness, and gratitude. What do you have that you have not received? Realizing that where you are in life is a gift and all of life is a gift. Because a, a lot of us, we were born on third base and that does not mean we hit a triple. So telling the truth with how you talk and present your life, would it be difficult for a single day to let your actions speak for themselves without having to butt in and say, but actually, could, could you, when you reflect on the end of your day today, think about how much mental energy you spend trying to massage the image or the way things are received. In fact, I wanna invite you to do something today. Sometime this weekend, whatever social media platform you're on, when we put up pictures of social media, when we put up selfies, they tend to be pretty polished, right? So I woke up recently, before I put in my contacts or anything, I took this picture. First thing in the morning, could you do that? Could you hashtag it, uh, the real me CMU? And just share with other people who you really are? Because Van, Vainglory's antidote is truthfulness, humility, and gratitude. Could you do that on whatever social media and help each other realize you're in this together? You can take that down now. <laughs> I know, I get it. You might not want to do this, but if you don't, then in the words of the great theologian Justin Bieber, if you like the way you look that much, then you can go and love yourself. Because in the end, the applause of heaven is the only thing that matters. It is all from God and for God, and it's for his renown. At the end, what you want is to be able to do your best and make God known. And if you do that, you can expect to hear from the risen Savior, wake up and well done.